can you share with us when you talk about unapologetic leadership, what that unapologetic part means to you? Honestly, Julie, it's about being authentic and, and being courageous and being willing to do the right thing. Because mm-hmm. if you think about what drives our behavior, what drives our decisions, most of the time it's our values. So like really looking within and saying what's important to us. Is it family? Is it helping others? Is it being courageous? And leaning into that, you're being more authentic. You're being more yourself. And you're not willing to let fear stop you from showing up. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I am very excited to be here today with a repeat guest, Dr. Quadro Caramantang. There he is doing his dance, (laughs) his boogie. (laughs) He was on the podcast first about three, almost exactly three years ago in 2020 during, you know, the peak time of the pandemic and really shared a lot about his personal story, his experience through the pandemic. It was an amazing episode. So if you have not heard it yet, I highly recommend going back to that one to get some more context because we're really just going to dive in today. But I'll start with some some background. Uh, So in just a little bit of his bio, so he is the department head of critical care at the Ottawa Hospital and as in doing that, he dedicates his time to caring for the sickest of the sick patients in the ICU. He also does research uh, and is particularly interested in using ICU resources more efficiently and improving access to palliative care in the ICU. And as part of this, he founded the Resource Optimization Network, which is a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce health spending in this area without compromising care. And he walks, that is such a fine line that he walks very beautifully. He also has his own podcast, Solving Healthcare, which he launched in September 2019, which features interviews and discussions on the topic of improving healthcare delivery in Canada. And during the pandemic, he created Solving Wellness, which is a virtual health and wellness platform for healthcare professionals. And most recently, he has a new book out, which is called Unapologetic Leadership, Finding the Moral Courage to Do the Right Thing, which is... So such an awesome topic for us to talk about today. But first, just welcome back to the show, Quadra. I'm so excited to have you back. Really, I've been hyped. I've been so excited <laughs> that we're going to have this conversation. It was so fun having you on. And folks, if you haven't heard her on my show as well, she this was a killer episode talking about her journey, her resilience. You guys know everything awesome about Julie. So I'm, I'm, you won't, I, won't, I don't need to hype her up too much, but... Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes. Well, thank you. I've been looking forward to this too, because you have such an infectious energy and it's always so fun to talk to you. So I know we're going to have a good time. No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) So now, you know, first time we talked here was 2020. It was just, you know, the first, probably within the first six months or so of the pandemic. And now I think we have a little more distance from that time. And all of us in the world have learned a lot of lessons from that experience. And so I'm curious to just start off for you as you think about the pandemic, 
personally, what, what lessons that left you with most personally, and then we can talk maybe even bigger as a healthcare system, what that emphasized for us. That's a great question, Julian. I must say I have a lot of bitterness when I think about the pandemic, if I'm being honest, it was such a weird time where we weren't at liberty to speak about our concerns or to speak about different approaches to the problem. We we were so divisive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us that were trying to advocate for some more holistic approaches, thinking about the negative consequences of our act of our approaches. And not only at times to say, you know, not to avoid the those approaches at all costs, but doing some work to mitigate it. Like say, for example, if you did feel like Schools need to be closed for an extended period of time. How do we make sure our kids, their mental health is on point? How do we make sure that they stay moving and stay in good shape? How do we make sure they get socialized? Like, how do we try and address these these concerns when we know they're going to be at risk? That's what got to me. The fact that we were just so narrow focused and not able to talk about how we could address these holistic these things more holistically, and so I, I was thinking, because I, I don't know if it was in preparation for this interview, but or just a previous interview thinking about this, that I'm still a bit bitter. I'm still mm-hmm. bitter at, at some of the, how a lot of us were treated, how there's been no kind of, what's the word, Rue? Like, um, what's the word when you, when a bunch of um, debrief, sorry, there's no, been mm. no debrief ah, to just yes. say like, Hey, yes. you know, this is what we did. Well, this is what we could improve on. And I think a lot of us would benefit from a bit of closure. Yeah. Oh, that, that sounds like it could be very healing. And I, you know, I don't know what that looks like on a, on a societal level, on a large scale, right? Because it was something that happened on such a large worldwide scale that we all experienced and went through and it felt like we were going through it together. But then you're right. It's hard. It's how do you then debrief that situation and say, and I'm sure it might be happening in small areas and in individual areas, but how do we bring everyone back into that conversation to feel like this big thing that we all went through together, we're learning from it. What did we do well? What could we have done differently? What were the successes? What were the the failures? And coming at it with humility, which I know you talk about in your book as being one of the the principles of unapologetic or a, a way to be an unapologetic leader and being able to, you know, learn from the the things that don't go so well and not getting not getting stuck in them. Absolutely. And and I, I mean, I, I don't know if I should be coming across so negative because there was also some things we really <laughs> did well. Uh-huh. The fact that we were agile, we talk a little bit about that in the book too, being able to bend. When we realized some of our tools that we're using, for example, in acute care weren't working well, we pivoted. Like when I give a concrete example, we used to put patients on ventilators early in their course of, of COVID. And we realized that patients weren't doing as well. So we went away from that. We realized patients were often clotting more often than not. So then we start to implement blood thinners early. So that ability to to be agile mm-hmm. it was something beautiful that I, that I saw during the pandemic. And, and so that was one thing that I, I'm hoping that we would take away. But yeah, that element of humility, you, you got like, if you're actually going to make a difference and you want people to get behind you, 
you got to show that human side, in my opinion. You got to show that you are, you have faults, you're willing to accept them. And mm-hmm. most importantly, you're, you're willing to learn from them. And mm-hmm. that to me, when you express that you've made some mistakes, that shows that you see it. That shows that you're, you, you're have that capacity to move on and to learn from it. So I, I do think that it is an important aspect of all of this, especially if you're going to be uh, an uh, impactful leader. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I uh, can you share with us when you talk about unapologetic leadership, what that unapologetic part means to you? Honestly, Julie, it's about being authentic and, and being courageous and being willing to do the right thing. Because mm-hmm. if you think about what drives our behavior, what drives our decisions, most of the time it's our values. So like really looking within and saying what's important to us. Is it family? Is it helping others? Is it being courageous? And leaning into that, you're being more authentic. You're being more yourself. And you're not willing to let fear stop you from showing up. Because, you know, both of us are in medicine. I don't know about you, but for me, especially during training, you're not really being your authentic self. I I wasn't like you're really playing a part to be to make sure that you get into residency, to make sure you get into your fellowship, to make sure you get into your staff job. So a lot of us were accustomed to putting on a show, putting on our not being authentic. And that takes a lot of energy. It takes away from our souls, in my opinion. Yes. But. And it's, it's like you said, it's a fear. A lot of times it is down deep. It's a, a fear of failure that's driving a lot of our actions, a lot of our thoughts, decisions. hundred percent. Like we're a bunch of type A's, mm-hmm. you know, you, 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 like mistakes aren't taken lightly. And so that's kind of part of like, it's kind of imprinted on us. And so if we can overcome that though, take shots, swing that bat. And show up as our true selves. Man, beautiful things happen. Like for me, I Julia, I, I never thought I was going to be in some leadership position and all that stuff. But the, the second I start to be more authentic mm-hmm. is when my life changed. It's like, okay, I will go on a podcast and express some of my thoughts and the ways that we can improve healthcare. Now you're starting to get some media, local media, national media opportunities. Now you're being asked to run for department head to join a board on a children's hospital. Now, you know, like all these things us talking today was from mm-hmm. coming from authenticity, being myself and right. sticking up and leaning in my values and, 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 and really thinking about how, what's important to me. And, and I just really think if people are looking to make a difference, that's such mm-hmm. a key component. And it's so, so beautiful as you talk about that. And I think I can relate a lot in my own personal journey over the last few years, how much of it has come from me really tuning into my true authentic self and and getting rid of a lot of those external voices and pressures and you should do this and that because that's what people expect of you. But it's a hard thing to overcome because there are so many of these external pressures. And I'd love to hear more about your journey. Like what was it that helped you to make that shift, to go from, you know, the medical student trying to, you know, just do jump through the hoops to get to where you wanted to be to saying, okay, I, you know, I can hear my authentic voice now and I'm going to use it and I'm going to put it out into the world. That is a, a great question because it, it, it took a lot 
if I'm being honest, because as a kind of hard to say, but like even as a as a, a black physician mm-hmm. in Canada, where there's not many of us, you don't go under the radar. There's a lot of you attract attention. You, you're you're under the spotlight a lot, and your missteps can often be amplified because you're the the you're the one that doesn't fit the profile. You're not in part of the group, and right. I don't know. It took, you know, I'm in my mid forties. It's, it's taken a long time for me to be, to be comfortable just showing up as, as I am. And, and what I think what changed really was it was just a few lines in the sand where I just felt action needed to take place. It started off in a minor fashion when I saw how inefficient our healthcare system was. So I was determined to make, to make it better. Because mm-hmm. looking to make a difference, so I started a research group or resource optimization network. And we noticed that wasn't making much of a voice, so then they're make, making much of a change. So I started a podcast, and then the pandemic probably is what really leapt, like amplified everything. Because mm-hmm. I was after seeing the the impacts that that COVID and our, our policies were having on our most vulnerable, like whether you say long-term care, whether you say our kids, racialized communities, to me, there was just a line that was being crossed. And I had that conversation with my wife. And I remember it very clearly in the, in the living room or on the kitchen table. And she, she saw how much the negative, the negative, the, the fear messaging and the, the uh, some of our approaches we're having on our, our our population, and she's like, you know, if you want to speak, go speak. We got your back. Like your family will be there. We we love yeah. you. We give her like this is worth the fight, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, all right, we'll I'll speak my my truth. I'll speak about the metabolic disease that we were seeing when nobody was talking about metabolic disease. Talk about our kids. Talk about uh, you know how racialized communities were, were were getting hit the hardest, and I'm so glad we did. You know the it just it's you feel like you're achieving your purpose when you're showing up in a more authentic fashion. And and I I, I want to I know I'm not sure Kathy will listen to this, my wife, but always give much okay. love to her for giving me the green light because it's it's changed everything. Yeah, well, and it makes such a difference too to to know that you have the support, right? If you you go out there and speak your truth, you've still got your family, you've still got your loved ones, like you have that safety at home to feel like, okay, even if things don't go as well out there, like I know what's important and I know I've got that. And I think she also, she wrote the most beautiful foreword for your book, Kathy. I want to read part of it on this topic. She, and just about this transformation in you as you started living more authentically and and not letting that fear get in the way. And I think you made such a great point. You know, we're, here we are talking about, you know, fear of failure as medical students. That's kind of a, a standard across the board. But you, like you said, as being, I think you said before, you were the only Black medical student in your class or one of the few and the extra pressure that that has, like the extra fear that you're with, living with day to day, it's on you. And she comments on that in the foreword about how this fear-based approach takes its toll. It's stressful to always be vigilant and never truly truly yourself. And like you just referred to, you know, for anyone going through life, not being authentically yourself, it takes a lot of energy to maintain that sort of false identity or false sense of safety. 
but I want to read this part because it's, it's, so well written. And I, I just love what she says. She says, Quadro has always maintained an unwavering ethic of hard work and has always had a magnetic personality. But now it's different. When he chose to live with authenticity, act in alignment with his values without apology, he flourished, not just in terms of career success, but in his own measures of true success, doing the right thing and making a tangible difference in everything that he does. And most importantly, he has flourished in himself. It's not that he is immune to fear, but he now responds to it, not by running from it or changing himself, but by embracing it and using it as a signal that whatever he is doing may be hard. But if he stays true to himself and his values, he'll find the right way through. And contrary to his fear, this path of authentic, unapologetic leadership is less stressful and more fulfilling than he could have ever imagined. So cool. So cool. (laughs) That's part of the book, folks. This is Kathy Ford. Yeah, wow. I, it is. I mean, I always get a little bit clamped every time I, I hear that forward because yeah. it, she just nailed it, Julie. She really did. And then I couldn't have put it better myself. Like when you go through writing a book, you kind of go through that process of, you know, articulating some of your thoughts and really journaling and really thinking through like why you act the way you act. And I didn't really realize it either that that transformation is what made me feel more true to myself like being more authentic and just saying like screw it like i'm just gonna show up the way i feel like showing up i know i'm Mm -hmm. in this board board meeting and no one's everyone's stiff or whatever but that's not me i'm not stiff i'm chill right i'm gonna sweat the small stuff like and that feels good it could be isolating at times but ultimately it's freeing right right and so yeah i i i really want to give love to Kathy and appreciate you highlighting that Julie. Yeah. Well, go Kathy. She did a great job. And I think, I think illustrates so many aspects of this idea of living authentically or living unapologetically and how, you know, she acknowledges like it could, it was, you thought it might, it was scary at first or it might be stressful, but it's actually more fulfilling and you find yourself, maybe some things in life change. You know, I think for some people, big things might change. Like they might change relationships. They might change work situations because they're in these situations, maybe for the wrong reasons, but ultimately you find the place where you belong. And like you said, you find, you feel like you're really truly living out your purpose now because you are able to, to be yourself and use your gifts in a way that only you can. And knowing that fear is still there, but it's a, it's a, it's a natural thing. Right. And it, it means, you know, sometimes you need to have courage to overcome that fear or it's trying to tell you something, but it doesn't mean that you run away from it anymore. Absolutely. And the other thing that you realize is that once you start being more, showing up more authentically, once once you start overcoming those fears, you realize you could do this more often. Like it's like, it's like part of your DNA now. It's, it's part of the process. It's like, yeah, I'm scared. I don't want to go up and speak about this hard issue in front of the board of governors at this hospital, or I don't want to bring this issue up, but mm-hmm. I've done it before. Good things have happened because I've spoken up in the past. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. the right thing. And yeah. there's going to be somebody grateful for the fact that you had the courage to speak up or to, to act. And that's, that's real important to me. And Another hack that I do sometimes, Julie, when it comes to mm-hmm. trying to overcome that that fear, and and when I need to like get that 
five seconds of courage to do mm-hmm. say or do the right thing is I like to pretend my kids are in the room. Like I, act, oh. I act to pretend like my three boys are could witness and listen to the conversation and how they would expect that to act or want that to act or what model I would want to show the boys is like, hey, this is a value in our Karamantang household. You do the right thing. So I'm going to speak up. Just like, and, and I want them to, I would want them to, to uh, yeah, to see that and, and embrace mm-hmm. it. So that's another kind of, I guess, hack or, or, or a trick I use at times when I'm like, really don't want to say anything. I don't really don't want to put myself out there. And, mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's such a great, a great tip or a great visual is like, what if, you know, or just, or just the transparency of if you don't have kids, like if, if other people were watching, what would you do? I love that. What do you think are some of the barriers? Because obviously a lot of the reactions that we had on a societal level, there was so much fear with the pandemic. And at first there was so much that was unknown, but, but what do you think are some of the reasons that lead to just our healthcare system in general, in general, being more fear-based or making decisions based off of, of fear? It's a great question, Julian. And honestly, I think there's a the few layers to that. One, as I alluded to before, docs don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be wrong. We're type A's. It's kind of cultural that you always want to be correct. So I, I, I think the the fear of of being wrong or missing out or doing yeah. or, or mismanaging things i think that's one thing and then the second major one is especially if i'm thinking about my my colleagues that are in the states it's the litigation side like the mm. fear of being put put to court and having your name go through the ringer and your practice go through the ringer i think that higher level of litigation that I see, especially down south compared to us in Canada, can really impact your your decisions and really wanting to make sure that you've crossed every T ever or not put yourself mm-hmm. out there too much. But yeah, I think between the two those two, I really think there's a an element of the fear guiding decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting this this idea of of just doctors having a hard time being wrong and so much, you know, I've done a lot of work on this myself over the last few years, but just how much the profession often selects for a certain type of person. And then the training really perpetuates that. And, and now the healthcare system, I think in a lot of ways, like you said, perpetuates that too. I saw this great quote. I just thought I'd bring it in because I saw it maybe a day or two ago on social media that said, kids who grow up academically gifted are now anxious adults who have thousands of abandoned hobbies and spiral into self-hate whenever they make basic mistakes or they are doctors. <laughs> there is no in-between. <laughs> and I thought, is that not, you know, are they not both kind of the same, the same oh thing? God. But there is, there's a, I think there's a, and it's not across the board, right? Like we're making generalizations, but I think there is a lot of that and a lot of, you know, perfectionism, a lot of, being really hard on ourselves, being really hard for anyone else to see us mess up. And and working through that, I think, is so important. There's so many aspects of our healthcare system that require healing, both, you know, Canada and US across the board. But but also there's just a lot of healing, I think, for healthcare providers in general, especially after going through everything that, you know, healthcare providers have been through through the pandemic. There's so much 
healing that that has to start there too in order to continue to heal the system. Oh, I couldn't have put it any better, Julie. Like I constantly am seeing the impacts that the the pandemic has had on on healthcare providers, the level of burnout, the, the level of people exiting the profession and a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, uh, they talk about improving employee wellness, physician wellness, and all these things. But sometimes I worry it's a little bit too much. What are we doing on paper instead of like mm-hmm. really asking the hard questions on what do we need to do mm-hmm. to improve their their wellness? And I do, I honestly think part of it is mindset to be more self-compassionate, to, mm-hmm. to, to have that element. I think we aren't very compassionate to each other. For the reasons you you illustrated about you know what it took to get in, most doctors, as an example, you've had A pluses your whole life. You've overachieved. There's an element of perfectionism, and yeah, you can't always be at the top of your game. You can't always get the result that you're looking for. So, on top of every other stressor that we've seen over the last few years, I think. If there's one lesson, there's many lessons in terms of trying to address burnout and 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 the stress of 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 what was, people have gone through. But if, if there, I were going to put my hat on one thing, is learning how to be self compassionate, mm-hmm. how to say to ourselves, "It's okay to take time away from from work. It's okay to have a chill day. It's okay to have that self care. It's okay to not." pick up that extra shift, even though your, your, your employees are going to be working that much harder. It's okay to prioritize yourself at some point. And like, all that is okay. And a lot of us, including myself, I, I it's not something I would say I'm, I'm very good at is like, if I'm, if I feel like I could have done better, whether it's on a research paper or a grant or with patient care, whatever it might be, might be, I tend to beat myself up too and say mm-hmm. like you, you could have done a better job. But having a lot of exposure to, to the experts, whether they've been on a show or show or not, and it's telling you the the value of being kind to yourself mm-hmm. has I'll say personally has has meant a lot to me. Like even just saying it makes yeah. me feel a little bit verklempt to say, like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> like you, yeah. you you've done We've all yeah. done some amazing stuff, but yeah, we got to heal ourselves. Right. And we're all human at the end of the day, but it's hard too. It's harder too when, right, your shortcomings af- could affect a patient, right? And you never want to, you know, let that, you know, you're in a, we're in a profession where, you know, things that could have gone better can dramatically impact someone's life. And so, but I think you, you know, I've heard you talk before about how you are so, honest and try to cultivate in your trainees too, about just always being honest. If you don't know something, just say you don't know, because, and maybe that's something that comes from the very strong team environment of the ICU, where you know, you can all work together and lean on each other. But how, how is that something that you started to overcome yourself and then emphasize for the people around you that create an environment where it's okay to say, I don't know, and ask for help? I love this question so much. I think it, it it's it came from a place of of empathy. I, I think this. I started to think of this when I was early in my 
staff career, like being already completed training. I knew what it was like for the trainees that are like, I was, you know, only a couple of years removed from being a, tra- a trainee. And I knew what it was like. You, you were getting grilled. You had a tough time with a patient. Nurses giving you a hard time. I, I knew what that was like. And I, I could feel what they're feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, instead of having to think to myself, oh, I got to know it all. I got to have all the answers. I, I'd often ask myself, how refreshing would it be for them to say, like, that, you know, you one of the specialists are coming in to talk about a topic and be like, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, I didn't, you know, I, this is new to me. Tell me more mm-hmm. and and show that I am not all knowing. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Owning up and say like, oh, I wish I would have given more fluid in that patient in hindsight or like being human and showing that you are are willing to be upfront up with with what you would improve on mm-hmm. allows people to grow grow together too mm-hmm. right like if your staff doc is saying he would try something different if he were to do it all over again now now instead of maybe thinking in the back of your head the, the, the trainee sticking in the back of their head and thinking maybe I would have given more fluid but he's saying you he wouldn't give more fluid maybe I'm wrong now you you've validated some of your mm. your your thoughts or your approach be like oh okay i'm not crazy the, the, mm-hmm. you know dr k actually did say there would uh, uh altered course a bit so i i think there's just so much upside for for you showing your true colors and once again it's more authentic too it's just like a more being more real and i'm just maybe it's just i'm just tired i'm just tired of putting on a face i'm tired of showing up and and trying to show up in a way that people would find me more ac- acceptable. I'm just done. Mm-hmm. And creating an environment where we all could be loose, we could all be open, it's just that much more enjoyable. I love that. I love that. And you talk about too just how you know one of the principles of unapologetic leadership is finding Determining or one of the the ways you can be a leader is understanding what your goal is and then breaking it down to figure out how you're going to get there. And, you know, to me, it seems like if the ultimate end goal is great patient care, right? How much better patient care are we getting if we're all just being authentic, right? We're all going to be able to learn and grow together more. We're going to create this environment where it's safe to, to be, you know, honest about what thoughts we have or what concerns we have and learn together um, versus one where we're all afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing because we're going to get, you know, shot down or that we're going to somehow, you know, be a quote unquote failure. Oh, Julie, like this approach has, I'm telling you, saves lives. Mm -hmm. I've seen it save lives. The fact that people feel like they can be open to spitting out ideas and not feeling that they're going to be frowned upon like i'll give a i'll try and make it not too medical but we had a patient that ages ago pulled out their their uh their breathing tube and they were in this they broke their neck so they were in this device called a halo so they they're literally you can't bend their neck at all mm-hmm. it's a tough airway like to to re to to, to secure the airway was going to be challenging and they were having breathing difficulty mm-hmm. and so I'm 
called for help overhead and I was still a trainee and, but it's me and, and uh, another doc forced to try and get the tube back in Mm -hmm. and we're working on it. And it's like five minutes in and the patient's agitated, the saturations are going low. And this respiratory therapist felt the environment was comfortable enough to make a suggestion and where we, we were able to essentially get enough oxygen through their nose uh, to be able to buy us time while we try and put this tube in. And I could guarantee if they didn't mention that, I, I don't think the patient would have made it through. Honestly, it bought us an extra five minutes, which wow. was enough time to to mm-hmm. secure that airway. And that was because our environment, the culture we've created somehow was that we know like the, the that respiratory therapist felt they they could speak their mind. They could they could voice their opinion. Their opinion mattered. Mm-hmm. And if you were fearing of saying something stupid, like if I were, they were to say that and I'd be like, why, why would I do that? Well, that doesn't make sense or whatever. And even if I didn't agree with it, there's always obviously a, a way of kind of, you know, acknowledging it and then, mm-hmm. you know, taking the information for what it was worth. But at the time, it was just like an aha moment too, because you, you could imagine in a You're stressful situation. You're focused on one thing, yeah. Yeah. And so they they brought that up and I was like, yeah, that, let's do it. Let's go. And I was so grateful. Patient was grateful too, obviously, that they brought that up. But yeah, as you said, like, what's the goal? Create an environment where they can, your team can work together and, and people can have a voice and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Speaking of, you know, healthcare providers healing thyself first. I know this has been a big push that you, like you said, you're all about action and trying to put resources out there for, for your colleagues. And so that's really what came about with Solving Wellness. Can you talk a little bit about what that platform looks like and some of the cool things that are happening with your colleagues as they're tuning in a little bit more to their own self-care? Yeah, Julie, this is a, was a fun little project. We put together we we knew we wanted to do something for wellness back in the day but what happened was i was in the middle of the third third wave which is for us was april 2021 we were in like we're the we're the busiest we've ever been i'm sleeping in the hospital and this respiratory therapist who is normally solid like very almost stoic we were talking about a case and they started to weep as we were starting talking about this case. And she's like, Quadro, it's, I've been on five nights in a row. I've just done, I'm sick of seeing these people suffer. I'm sick of seeing them being away from their loved ones. This is too, this is hard. And so we thought we got to do something more urgently. So we put together this virtual platform for healthcare providers that, that provided online workouts nutrition tips, yoga, ways of managing stress, all on one platform to try and do our part to try and reduce burnout, redu- reduce the the impact that all these stresses were having. So it, it was it was great. Like when we we first started, we it was you know 300 healthcare providers on one platform getting, you know, communicating what's working for them, what's not working for them. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, Julie, it's pivoted quite a bit now because I think a lot of people have pulled away from the online mm-hmm. forums because they're kind of zoomed out. And yeah. what it, what has changed for us now in terms of how to we deliver 
is usually now we've been working with companies that uh, like healthcare organizations mm-hmm. that want to improve their overall wellness and give retreats and seminars on on some of these aspects of health, nutrition, mm-hmm. exercise, stress management, community building. And so even what was the last one we did was a few months ago for a group called Bayshore, where we went up to to Northern Ontario and put on a, a workshop for them. And and so they they had access to all the videos that we pr- produced on Solving Wellness. But really now, I think the most impact we're having is face-to-face with people and providing them with okay. tools on how to stay healthy and, and well. Love that. Well, I love that we can be face-to-face together again. So that's even better. <laughs> Amen. That's even better. Now I have to ask also about how your kids are doing because on the last episode, we talked a bit about your kids and how much you love being a dad and lessons that you're trying to instill in your boys. But um, I know you've also been really passionate and outspoken about you know, how we can do better, how our kids needed more support during the pandemic and how we could do better for them. So I'd love to hear just how you've navigated that personally with your own kids. And then, you know, how, what are some of the things that you're seeing that you think we can do better for our youth in general? I'm so glad you asked me this question. So first of all, my boys, they're like my everything. I got three sons, they're almost 11, almost nine and and five. And they're doing amazing. We're we're similar to you, Julie. I, I'm sure very sports focused. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're currently it's football and hockey season. So they're all nice. getting into it. The the youngest has just started his first hockey season, and he's the most excited out of all of them. I, I would say, uh, shout out to Zeke, Zeke the freak. <laughs> but yeah, I you know I it was a real motivator to to speak about how the impact. Of the, of the pandemic was having on kids because I saw it with my own kids. They were went from thriving active boys to less. They weren't thriving as well. They weren't as active. And I, I could see how it was impacting them and their friends around them. Mm-hmm. And so really it was just important to me to to, to try and advocate and, and, and do something about it. And now, luckily, now that we're outside the pandemic, they're doing much better. I see their friends are doing much better, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are still paying a price. You know what we saw the increasing eating disorders, anxiety, depression, even rates of of di- like type two diabetes were increasing in our youth. So we've we've still been doing a lot of advocacy and we to, to try and 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 acknowledge these things. And one of the things we did was we we started a charity, Bridges Over Barriers, to help out kids in our community to, to to help them thrive again. Like really, mm. how do we give them the tools that they get to excel? So as an example, if we there's a kid in the community that loves basketball, but his parents can't afford it, our, our charity will cover the, the their camp and, and, and give them an opportunity to start loving the, the things that they love and, and get mm-hmm. them back on track. So we we've we've been trying to stay very active with the on the charity side. We've raised over since 2020 about 220 thousand. Wow! And and so that's something we're, we're really proud of, and trying to get my boys involved in that and, and any of the fundraisers and 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 so that, you know you want to set an example to to them to make sure that they they recognize that it's important to give back because mm-hmm. uh, they do live a bougie lifestyle. Just in case you guys are listening. <laughs> okay. Get off your iPads. Um, but yeah, that's been that's been important. And and then because of 
how the pandemic was. I, 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 I tried to be as present with the boys as possible, but there were obviously a lot of gaps where we were just really busy and, and, and not yeah. as much part of their lives as we could be. But now I'm trying to soak it all in like the, how about on the, on the ice when I can, uh, uh, help coach one of the flag football teams in the spring, which was fun. And so, yeah, just trying to be as present as possible with the boys, but, uh, yeah, trying to balance that with all the other things that we're doing, but they're, they're, thanks for asking. They're, they're doing really yeah. well and, and just hoping to set an example for them in so many ways on how to contribute. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. I bet it's cool for you too. I know hockey was big for you growing up. So I bet it's cool to be back out there with your son. That's, that's awesome. For sure. Well, as we start wrapping up, I wanted to ask three questions I ask at the end of every podcast. And I know you answered them three years ago. I don't remember exactly what your answers were, but I want to see if they maybe they've changed in some way. So the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Oh, yes. Okay. The three most important uh, aspects of my health are the things I do that have an impact on my health. I'd say from, uh, this is a bit of a different shift, actually. One of the things lately is I've really emphasized or thought more about my protein intake. So from a nutrition uh-huh. perspective, mm-hmm. I, I never really thought much about it. Like by the, t- I think last time I was still... Yeah, I was intermittent fasting. I enjoyed that. But learning more about protein intake and as especially as I'm aging and trying to maintain your muscle mass, improve your metabolic rate, that for sure, I've noticed a big difference since I've 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 increased my protein intake for sure. That's From, awesome. Yeah. And what difference? No. Just energy-wise, strength-wise or I'm more energetic. I I'm I I stay fuller for longer. I I crave less and I've gained probably a good uh, two or three pounds of, of muscle huh. since really focusing on it. And so this is one of the things that anyone that asks me, I start preaching it like crazy. Like you make sure you get that 0.7 to one gram per pound. Yeah. You know, assuming you you're a healthy. Yeah. And you won't regret it. There you go. And you'll see it. I'm sure you see your patients in the ICU who have good muscle mass are going to b- do a lot better. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's like a it's a body armor. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I would say, I started doing fitness classes, mm-hmm. which has been also uh, an element of gaining muscle mass. I'm sure, and it's just like everything has gotten better. Like I'm I'm fitter. I'm bigger. I it you got the sense of community. So I do, I do one. It's a boxing class that mixes weight training, and then the, uh-huh. another one called Powerhouse that. You mix a, a weight training with a bit of cardio. It's kind of a CrossFit feel, but yeah, that that would be the number two, and number three, the the big next biggest thing that has really uh, impacted my health, I, I would say, is trying to do things more with people, like connection. Like mm-hmm. I, I really think if I've learned anything over the last few years, is connection is so important, and mm-hmm. started when you you reach out to people and you're seeing them face to face now, I'm starting to laugh more. I'm starting to feel joy more. And I, 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 it's, it just carries in everything. Everything is a bit easier when you're, you're smiling and laughing again. So connecting has been a big one. Beautiful. I love that. What's one thing that you think would have a big impact, but you have a hard time implementing it or something you're working on. 
Oh my God, that is has to be sleep. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. I, I a lot of people ask me about how to improve their sleep, and I mean, I, 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 I my sleep quality, I think, is good. It's just I'm not going to bed on time. I, I think if I were to really take take it more seriously, I think recovery mood would be better if I was sleep went to bed on time, and. I don't know. It's just, it's just you get into this mode after the kids go down. You want to have totally. some downtime. You want to live your life a little yeah. bit. And by that time, it's oh, it's already 11 o'clock. So that one I for sure need to improve on. I think that might be the most common answer that I get to that question. So you're uh, not alone there. Especially right. docs. <laughs> yeah. So last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? What does a healthy life look like to me? It's all about, in my mind, being being functional. It's it's being able to do the things you love. That's and and doing it with for for most of your life. You know, if it's connecting with family, if it's playing sports, it's being active with your family. To do that, you need to eat well, you need to exercise, you need to not be too stressed out. So really, when you think of the main pillars of health, to to be able to achieve that, you you really need to you need to be good at all three. And and yeah, I, I just, you know, I just had a recently had a birthday. So and and I, oh, I happy I, birthday. I mean, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I you start thinking about you know, you you yeah. reflect on life around your birthday, and and what the years to come are going to look like. And yeah, I just want to be able to do all the things I love. I want to, I want to hang out with my kids. I want to be able to joke around with them. I want to be able to still tackle all three kids at once, <laughs> so they know whose house it is. I want to want to connect. Yeah, I, and so I think that that to me is how I would define health. I love that. I love that. Well, this has been wonderful. I've so enjoyed our conversation as always. And where can people learn more? Where can people get the book? Where can they learn more about all the things that you're up to? Oh, once again, first of all, thank you for having me on. Thank you for being just a, like a supporter and keep doing what you're doing, informing people on how to be Healthy and well has been such an, a vital part of what you're doing, it, and I'm really appreciative of all your efforts. I to get a, see more of our stuff. Yeah, we're all everywhere on social media at Quadcast. That's K W A D C A S T. Our book, Unapologetic Leadership, is probably best if, if you just find it on Amazon. We also have links on our site, so drquadjo.ca. So uh, that also will will get you linked up with 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 our. Uh, with our book and all our other efforts, we got you know with Solve and Wellness. Our newsletter is all on that site as well. So yeah, that's uh, how you connect with us. Amazing. Well, I hope everyone goes and checks it out. And thank you again for coming on. I just love, you know, even yeah, I loved our first conversation, but this one even more. Just again, seeing your authentic self come out and shine in the world, and I think the more each of us does that, the more we give other people permission to do the same thing, and the the better we all become together. So, thank you for sharing that and putting it out into the world with your book and everything else that you're doing. 
Oh, better together. I love it, Julie. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.